Go ahead, turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah tonight. The book of Micah, continuing on in that majoring on the minors. And I had a great time last week getting back, and we're so thankful to be able to be here in the house of God once again. But uh, we go through another book, and one of these minor prophets, not minor because of the subject they're writing about, because it is a major subject that they are writing about. But it is minor because of the size of the book, not the quality, but the quantity. There are but seven chapters that you find here in the book of Micah. And uh, most of these are uh, just short books, one chapter, two chapter, up to 14 chapters that you find Hosea and Zechariah. So we have those longer books, but we do have these shorter ones as well. But uh, we're so thankful that God has given us the Word of God. Every word is important. Every word has been given to us for a reason. There is nothing that God has ever given to us in the word that is not important. Every subject that he has written about, everything that he has written for us and preserved for us, there is a reason that God has given it to us. So I want you to look with me and we'll just go quickly to chapter number 6 in the book of Micah. Micah chapter number 6. Look at with me in verse number 1 with me. It says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, and the Lord's controversy, ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. Thank God that he is still pleading with us. O my people, verse number 3, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. I've sent thee, sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, once again, the second time he uses that phrase, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him and from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye shall, or ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? But look at verse number eight. He hath showed thee, O man... What is good? And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray you just bless God right now. Lord, I thank you for what we've already felt this evening during this service. God, we thank you for the great congregational singing. Lord, how the praises of your people have been lifted up. Those voices have been raising up and God, you said in your, your book in Psalm 69 that you'd uh, love to hear the singing of your praises. And even better than sacrifices, you'd love to hear the people praising you. And God, that's just exactly what we were able to do tonight. And God, then that family stood and sang a great song about the blood. And Lord, we thank you for the blood. And Lord, I pray you'd touch, God, every person that's here under the sound of my voice. Those that are watching by way of the internet. God, I pray that you'd help them. I pray you'd touch them. I pray you'd use me, God, for your honor and for your glory. God, that they not see me, but God, they see you shining through me. 
And Lord, I pray that your word would be high and lifted up, God, during this service. Made much of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious Lamb of God. Lord, I pray you'd help us during this time, the next few moments, God. Bless us this evening. God, use it to further your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So as we begin to look through these, I'm so thankful that we do have the wonderful word of God, that every step of it, every word of it here is for a reason, like I've already said. Every step of the way, it's there for us, and there's none that is not of value to us. Every word that he's given to us has value. There's a reason that we have it. There are times that we look at certain scriptures and we uh, think that we can apply that more easily or we can do this or we can do that. Or, But these minor prophets so often seem to be some of the scripture that becomes neglected at times. We have to push harder. We have to study deeper. We have to go a little further. We have to understand. And, and truly, to be honest with you, that's why I feel like the Lord put it on my heart to really, uh, not only to help me, but to help others to be able to go a little deeper in their study in the Word of God. And that's what we're trying to, to accomplish through this way. And we go through and we've been moving through these minor prophets and majoring on these minors have been a, a blessing to me and, and a blessing from the Lord. But we come here to the book of Micah. Micah simply means this, who is like Jehovah? (laughs) And I want to say, there ain't nobody like him. There's nobody that will ever be like him. There's none greater than him. He's greater than all. Thank God that he's greater than Jonah. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than all these things. The book of uh, Hebrews tells us that he's better, 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 better 13 times in the 13 chapters. God is, uh, tells us that Jesus Christ, the great high priest that we have, he is better. Thank God that he is the better sacrifice. He is the better one that has given to us the better high priest that we have. The better covenant that God has given to each and every one of us. As we look through those times, we see that, uh, Micah, when we look through this book, one man even said this, that this book is a a book of doom, and most people would think glory, or uh, gloom, gloom, but it's glory. Doom, yet there is glory in the book. Lord, as you look through that very first part of it, there's doom and gloom that's in the very front, but there is glory by the time you get to the end. I was told a long time ago by our pastor, years and years and years ago, Brother Shane, I want you to preach the Word of God. And I want you to preach the Word of God hot. I want you to preach hot, hell hot. I want you to preach it like they're going to slip off into eternity. He said, but don't you dare sit down until you tell them about the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Boy, you can take sinners and you can dangle them over the, the depths of hell, but you've got to tell them about Jesus Christ and that there is a way out. And that is exactly what Micah does in his seven chapters of this book. He goes and he takes through and he says that there's going to be Samaria and Jerusalem. You're going to be destroyed. There's going to be problems that you have. But thank God by the end of the book you say that God is on the winning side. That Jesus Christ has come and set up a kingdom in a wonderful way that we have. And we get to be there. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Goes right there. As we go through and he has these books of warnings. He has these books of uh, a powerful pack with promises, with hope, with pleadings. Then there's pleadings for the people of God to turn from their sinful ways, their, the manner of life that they are living. And to be completely honest with you, Brother Earl, it'd be so easy to apply these scriptures to the land that we are living in right now. Oh boy, we take sin and we just put it out openly. What folks used to be absolutely embarrassed to admit they now publicize. 
What folks used to try to hide, they now are so proud that they post it all over everywhere to let everyone know their sin and how great that their sin is. And it seems like they have no shame, but yet the God that we serve still has not changed. The sin that he called sin back then is still sin today. And the sin that folks have been uh, engaging in from years past is still sin today. And it still needs to be preached about. Preachers still need to stand up. It's not a time for us to just step back and settle on our lees as the Bible tells that uh, the people of God had done that they just kicked back and they were going to take it easy. Boy, the, 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 the leaders of this uh, book, when they, at this time, Micah was giving them a hard time. Why? They were telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was telling them about God and how his judgment was coming along. Why? Because they had decided that if it fills my pockets and I don't offend anybody, Oh my. And as long as I got plenty of people sitting in the pew, everything will be all right. But Micah stands and he says, that's not true. You need to preach the word of God, still unadulterated word of God, that the truth is still the truth. The truth has not changed. The powerful verse that we begin to see in this chapter, and probably the most famous or the most well-known or recognized verse that you have is in chapter number five. Chapter number 5, verse number 2, I want you to turn back there with me, and it's a prophecy about the location of the birth of the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. It's found here in the book of Micah. Chapter number 5, verse number 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting." This verse is what the, those wise men used to be able to locate the Savior, the Messiah, when He was born. You're going to look at that verse, you see that there's a Savior. Glory to God, a Savior that's coming to us. Hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, coming down, God knew exactly where the birthplace of the Savior would be. And He knew exactly where it would be, and there's a Savior that was coming to us, but then you also see that there's a Savior that's committed to us. He says, I am coming down there. I am going ahead and I will make this sacrifice for you. I will. I thank God that he has made this wonderful sacrifice for us. But then also it tells us of the Savior's communion with the Father. The relationship that he had with the Father from everlasting to everlasting. From afar off or from old to everlasting. And Micah gives a, a series of messages as he goes through. And that's part of one of those messages. But I want you to look with me and concentrate with me here in chapter number 6. The scripture that we read, as we begin to look through, Micah gives this series of messages and each one of them begins with the same imperative declaration here. If you want to hear a key word that is in this scripture, in this Bible uh, chapter or, or these uh, books of the book of Micah, that word is here. Each one of them in chapter number one, verse number two, it starts with here. In chapter number three, verse number one, it starts with here. In chapter number 6, verse number 1, it starts with here. Oh, that the people of God would still listen to what God's man is saying. 
Oh, that the people of this world would still hear what the people of, or what God and His man is saying to them. Oh, that they would uh, fall down on their knees and come to a Savior and know that they can be saved and, and, and to be able to preach and preach the Word of God and, and, and do that uh, unsparingly. Boy, the, the message of uh, there that's recorded in the Word of God, you begin to look through the first chapter number 1 and 2. There's a, a, a message, I already talked briefly about it, the doom of of Samaria and of Jerusalem. And, but yet he said that there'll still be, Brother Kyle, there'll still be a remnant. I'm going to destroy, but yet I'm going to keep some people. I'm going to keep those faithful. I'll have a remnant there. And restoration will come. That's a promise. That there will be a time when the people of Israel, when those, when those people, destruction and doom is going to be in those two cities that's laid out. And the reason is given, but God has a plan that he will come by by the end of chapter number two. What he's doing is he's displaying the hope of Israel. He's displaying that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is there and all the people that have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a hope. We have a blessed hope. The Bible tells us that it's a lively hope. Boy, aren't you glad we got, we got hope today. We got hope tonight, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is on our side and that, that boy, that things look gloom and things look despairing, but, but God Almighty is still going to be on the throne. That God Almighty has not left the throne and He hasn't been uh, debunked in any way, form, or fashion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is still going to come in power and glory and authority and set up a kingdom here on this earth someday. And glory to God, we get to be part of it. Hallelujah. I'm excited to be able to know that, that I can be there. But in chapter number 1 and 2, you see that. But then chapter number 3, 4, and 5, you see something else. That there's a message to the leaders of today or that day. Number 1, political and religious leaders were taking advantage of the poor people. They were doing all that they could. If they saw a, if they saw a field and wanted it, guess what they did? They took it. If they saw something that belonged to someone else, but yet they had a little power, they had uh, what they thought was a little power, then they just went and confiscated it for themselves. They brought it to themselves, and those ones were just taking simply whatever they desired, and they proclaimed it, what they would uh, uh, line their pockets, and, and they were going ahead and they were uh, giving them these cheap popularities, and whatever is going to be the best way to get popular right now. Does this sound familiar yet? You say, Brother Shane, how is it that you can relate it? We can apply this every time because the world is continuing in a, a vicious cycle. And right now what we're seeing in the, when the book of Micah is saying that these political and religious leaders are preaching and teaching to line their pockets and they're just simply trying to do something to be able to, to be popular and they're trying to have a big crowd. Boy, I'm about numbers. I love the fact that we can have a big crowd. I, I love to see the, the house packed out like we did on Sunday morning. It was wonderful to see that for a homecoming. There, there's a reason that God tells us about numbers in the Bible. But it's about the numbers of souls, not just people in a pew. The number of souls that we give the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of Christ too, that's what it's all about. And that's what these people, these political leaders were uh, enabling the people to do as they please. You say, you want to do what? You want to do that? Then go ahead. It's your life. You're not hurting anybody else. Hmm. Then we have the religious leaders. I want you to flip back with me to chapter number three. And I'm, I promise you, I'm going to get into the message here in a minute. We'll look at this in chapter number three. It says, the heads thereof judge for reward. 
and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money, yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil shall come upon us. False doctrine. That's what they were preaching at this time. That's what they were doing. And that, but thank God. Thank God that there were men that day in Micah, Micah himself, a man that would still go forth and to be able to stand in that day and not in his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, not on the words of wisdom or not in the light of popularity, not in that direction, but the power of God and stood in power and authority and preached, thus saith the Lord. Boy, we need to have preachers to still do that. And I thank God that we are in a church that has power in the pulpit. Every time that our pastor gets in this pulpit, I thank God that he gives us a message from heaven and he doesn't stand back and he doesn't hold anything back. He simply tells us the truth and that is absolutely wonderful. I believe that's why each and every one of us are here at this church. Because we have a man of God that has been given to us. Then in Micah chapter number 3, verse number 8, you look at that. This is exactly what he's saying. Micah said it this way. Look at verse number 8. But truly I am of the power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Not in his own power, not in his own might, but yet he was in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Boy, we need to not rely on our own abilities anymore, but we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to give it all over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God comes and sets down, boy, that's a wonderful time that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His house that we have. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, "In my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Boy, that's a good kind of preaching. Amen. That's the kind of preaching that I desire to hear. But when we get to chapters number 6 and 7, that's the final message here is the final word again, once again. And the Lord would ask him to be his witness. He's going to ask the world to be his witness. Look with me in verse number 1. Verse number 1 says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong fountains of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with His people, and He will plead with Israel. What it seems and what we have, Brother Mike, is a court scene that begins to set up. And in this court scene, the Lord Jesus Christ is calling the mountains and the fountains of the deep, nature itself, to come upon and be the witness that He's calling for. And he stands before and he's beginning to have that and we've seen how it all ends before. He once again is a merciful and he's a gracious God and he gives a plea to the people, a plea that has gone on from generation to generation to generation and I'm thankful that it has been brought to my generation and it's brought to my children's generation and thank God that it's going to continue on as the Lord Christ uh, doesn't come and receive us and the rapture doesn't take place. He's going to keep giving that plea out to generation after generation after generation that the Lord Jesus Christ will say, come, come to me. Thankful that we have that plea, but I want you to look, number one, that we'll see this, that appeal that God gives to us. In verse number three, oh, my people. You hear the plea of God? 
Boy, in that verse, when you just read it, uh, so many times I feel like we just gloss over Scripture. I feel like we just run over it really quickly because we're in a hurry to try to get something done or we're trying to do something or we're trying to fulfill our duty of reading our Bible and we really just need to get and to hear what God is really truly saying. Oh, my people. The plea that God is giving to these people, not only do we hear that that plea, but we hear the pain that God has. Boy, I, I want my people, I want them to come to me. I want them to give over. I want them to give everything up. I'm trying to give them everything, but yet I just need to plead with them. And the appeal that he has is, is just as in Isaiah 55, he says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye that are uh, to the waters, and he that is, uh, hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. He is saying, come to me and I can give it to you. You don't have to have any money. I'm thankful that the day I got saved, I didn't have to have any money. Because <laughs> I couldn't have, praise the Lord. I wasn't but a six-year-old little boy. I didn't make any money. And the only thing that I had done at that point was I stole three pieces of bubble gum. I was in trouble. I stole one from me. And I thought it was all right, Brother Joe, because I stole two pieces from Michelle and Mandy. I was trying to be good. There I was doing bad. But yet I had no money. But the six-year-old little boy, I just came to an altar. I didn't have to have anything. He just saved my soul. <laughs> Hallelujah, I gave him, gave him in my life and, and he saved me. And how amazing it is that even when we have continually gone against him, you look through the book of Micah and the sins that are the laundry list that is piled up against the people of Israel. Yet he still continually tells them, I love you. I have mercy on you. I want you to come to me. Still come to me. Still come to me. And today, Brother Earl, the Lord Jesus Christ is still doing the same thing to us. He's still saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. I know that you're a sinner. I know that you've wandered astray, but come home, come home, child of God. You say, well, what is that? Well, his address in the chapter number six, verse number three, oh, my people that plea, but his address is this, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Have you ever had somebody that just didn't like you? I have a lot of people that just don't like me. What did I ever do to you? Is that what you wanted to feel like asking? I've, I wanted to ask him that. What did I ever do to you? What, what, what have I done to, to warrant this direction that you're going in? What have I done to thee? God's saying, what have I done? What is it that I have done to you that warrants you to continually go off and do what you've been doing? What is it that I... Go on a little further. Wherein have I wearied thee? Boy, are my laws so difficult? The Bible says no. They are not. Boy, his address to them is God's asking their reasoning behind their rejection, their rebellion. Why are you doing this? He begins to give a reason or a questioning. And it's, it's amazing to me how God continually does this throughout the word of God. You know the verse in Isaiah chapter number 1, it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let's reason together. Let's figure this out. Why? What have I done to you? What is it, what is it that I have done that I've wearied you? May I say that God has done nothing 
but good. I don't know about you, but the God I serve has done nothing but good to me. The God that I serve has been so good to me, sometimes you'd be jealous of if I told you how good he's been to me. But I know that most of you probably feel the same way. That you'd, I'd be jealous of how good God has been to you. But boy, I thank God that He has been good to each and every one of us. Even in our trials, even in our tribulations, even in our mountains, and even in our valleys. There's all sorts of problems that we have to go through. There's mountains that we have to climb. And there's valleys that we have to cross through. And there's rivers that we have to trudge through. But thank God He's always been there every step of the way. He's never left us alone. He's promised that He'd never leave us alone. But there's also a sweet, sweet stream in the desert to nourish us when we need it. Glory to God. There's also a lily in the valley. Glory to God when we're trudging through. And thank God that there's a time that we can go through and see that stream may be difficult. But thank God the one that walks on water is the one that takes my hand and takes me safely across that way. You may not see a way out. You may not see what's going on in your life. You don't see the end. But God knows the end and God is for you and God wants the best for you. And thank God that he has uh, gone across and he said, I've done these things. I've, I've not done anything to you. I've done nothing but good to you. His address is that, but their accusation, he asked, what is your accusation? Look at the end of that verse. He says, testify against me. God gives the opportunity for the creation to accuse the Creator. Listen to the response. Silence. Why? Because there's no accusation that we can make. There's no accusation that anybody can say, well, you did this, God. You did this to me. No, God has been nothing but good. They are silent. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 21, the Bible says this, But Israel, he saith, all the day long have stretched forth my hand unto disobedient and gainsaying people. I've continually gone. I've continually gone to bring you back to myself. His mercy is on full display as we begin to go through this. And God is, God is so good. I love that radio personality. When people ask him how he's doing, he says, better than I deserve. That's the truth. Each and every one of us deserve the devil's hell. But God has given us mercy and grace. God has given us the opportunity because he has been so good to us. You see that appeal, but number two, I want you to look at this. I want you to see the action that God has taken. Look at verses number four and five with me in chapter number six. This is what God says. Okay, you have been quiet. I have asked you, what is your accusation? Accuse me. What is it that you can say that I have done falsely wrong? Silence follows, and he says, okay, it's my turn. Look at verse number four. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Glory to God. And redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. 
Oh, my people, remember now that Balak, king of Moab, consulted and, and what that uh, Balaam, the son of Beor, answered from, from him, from Shidem unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. <laughs> said, okay, you said I've been bad, but I want to just go ahead and tell you that this, what, this is what I have done for you. Remember this. Remember last week when we talked about how we need to be Reminded every once in a while. Boy, here God is once again reminding the people of God. You say that uh, you, you're acting this way, you're acting that way, how all these things are so bad and how everything is going against you. But then let me tell you what I have done. I brought thee up out of the house of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of bondage. I brought you out of all those things. I've set your feet on a solid rock. I've given you a, a land. I've given you a place to go. I was good for you whenever you crossed over the river Jordan. I was good to you every step of the way. I was good to you when curses could have come upon you, but yet I was for you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that God Almighty is for each and every one of us. Boy, God moves from this defendant to the attorney and the people of God knew their background. They knew exactly what had happened. But then here we have that he says, I want to tell you that I want to tell you about the deliverance that I have given to you. I want to tell you about what God has done and what God did for those people. He did to each and every one of us as well. He brought them out of that slavery and He brought them out of that that bondage and they set them free. But I'm glory to God, Brother Earl. I'm so glad that that day when I got saved, I was brought out of slavery and I was brought out of bondage and I was brought out of all the things that the devil wanted to tie me up in. But I was set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. I was set free because of the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for each and every one of us. I was set free because of the blood that was shed on Calvary's hill. I was set free because he has risen from the grave. Glory to God, I am free because of Jesus Christ. Boy, God said, I did this for you. He did the same for each and every one of us. Boy, the psalmist said it this way. David said it this way. That he brought me up out of the horrible pit. Boy, I was in a horrible pit. He brought me out of the miry clay. Boy, I I was was thinking about the song that sung. uh, Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die. For such a, the red book says, worm as I. And then there's some that's trying to say for such a man as I, because they're, they're so, don't want to insult somebody by calling them a worm. You listen to me. We're nothing but a bunch of worms. Insignificant. Nothing. We're not worthy. But the worthy one. But the worthy one decided that he loved the worm. He loved that one that was a sinner. He loved the one that he loved the one that spat in his face, Brother Shane. He loved the one that plucked his beard. He loved the one that threw that crown of thorns. He loved the one that nailed the nails into his hands. He loved that. He loved you and I every time that we've sinned against him. Every time he still continues to love us every step of the way. And he has brought deliverance to us. And he's brought us out of that horrible pit. He's brought us out of that miry clay. And he set our feet upon a solid rock. Not just any kind of rock, but a solid rock that we have and established our goings. God is for us. Glory to God. Deliverance is final that he has. I looked at that word. I I love that word redeemed. Especially in the New Testament, you have that three words in the Greek. 
that we have New Testament that we have. And I love the one that's used in Revelation chapter number 5, verse number 12, that redeemed us. But then I said, well, well, what does this one mean? What does redeemed here really truly mean in the Old Testament? In the, not the Greek, but the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew that we have. It says that it's a ransom. A price that he's willing to pay to release or to preserve. But it gets better. You go on further in that definition and it says that he's willing to release and preserve and to pay the ransom by any means necessary. Lord of God, hallelujah. Think about that. That by any means necessary, the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty says, I don't care what it'll take. I don't care what's going on in my life. As long as I can redeem them, and I will redeem them. And glory to God, it's on Calvary's hill. That's exactly what happened for each and every one of us. He shed His blood. And by any means necessary, He came across and to give deliverance and redemption to each and every one of us. Glory to God. Thankful that He has done that. Redeem us. But then there's also deliverers that we have. I thank God for the day that the man that got up that night when I was a six-year-old little boy and preached the gospel. Brother Ray Hill was the one. He's in glory now. On that Friday night, he preached the gospel and I got saved. Not because of him, but because of the Savior that he preached about. Not because of what he did, but because God was using him and what he was doing that night. That's why I was able to be gloriously born into the family of God that night. Boy, I thank God that we had that. God has always sent someone to help the people in need. That's what he's saying here in Micah chapter number 6, verse number 4. Look at that verse with me towards the end of it. It says that, and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, Miriam. Those people that you needed, I gave them to you. Boy, when you, didn't know, when you didn't know how to get out of Egypt, I sent you a leader. When there were times that you were in bondage, it seemed like once again I sent you judges. When there were times that you were having problems, I, I sent you somebody else to come along the side uh, there to, to be able to bring you up. Boy, those deliverers, boy... Uh, and I, and I think about the man of God. I think about the preachers. I think about those that are delivering the message that the people of this world need to hear. One of my favorite verses in uh, John chapter number 1 is verse number 6. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. You say, why would that be one of your favorite verses, Brother Shane? Because there's a ton of verses. There are a ton of verses. But Brother Tag, that tells me that God cares enough for me. And for every man, woman, boy, and girl that walks upon the face of this earth, that he will send a man from him to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. I'm so thankful that God would do that for me. Aren't you glad that the, the man of God preached the word of God that night? I'm so thankful that he did. But then also I want you to look at verse number 5. That there's a deliverance or a, a disaster that was avoided. How is that? Oh, my people. That's the second time he's used that plea once again. Oh, my people. Remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, consulted. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered from Shidem to Gilgal. That thou may know the righteousness of the Lord. This is a very familiar account that you begin to look through. Go home tonight. If you're not very familiar with it, go to Numbers chapter number 22. Go read 22, 23, 24. And you'll see the account that's beginning to happen. 
But God delivered the people of what, what could have. Balak was trying to send Balaam to curse the people of God. And every time that man tried to go, a donkey stopped him. Hallelujah. You say, even God uses donkeys. Absolutely. To speak as the voice. As a matter of fact, in Numbers 22, it says, as a, speak as the voice of a man. It spoke to him. The angel said, listen, if that donkey hadn't have stopped, I would have took your life and I would have saved the life of the donkey. That's real. Go through that and you begin to look through that. that boy, that, that's exactly what happened. What could have been a disaster for the people of Israel. That was avoided. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, God is Almighty, He delivered the people from what could have been that great disaster. But then also, it even says, well, why, why look into verse number 5 and say from Shittim unto Gilgal? Well, Shittim was the last place that they camped before they went over to the promised land. Gilgal was the first place that they went into as they went into there in that land. And they were the ones that were camping there at Gilgal. Even a miracle took place to even get them into the promised land. You all know the, the Jordan River's parts when the, the, the priests begin to go forward with the Ark of the Covenant. How wonderful that is that that miracle takes place. Boy, a great miracle that parting. But why? Simply because God was showing the grace of God to those people. And I'm so thankful, Brother Wade, that God has showed me grace. God has showed me mercy. God has given me every step of the way. Why does He deliver us? Because we're good? Absolutely not. It's because of grace. Is it because we've done good deeds? Absolutely not. It's because of His grace. Is it because of our goodness? No, because it's His grace. Is it because we deserve it? No, it's because of God's grace. I can tell you, if we look through and we can see how God moves and God sees and His Word tells us exactly what sin will do to us. And sin will deplete us, but grace will enrich us. Glory to God. And sin's going to go ahead and enslave us, but God has sent grace to be able to free us. And God is getting, we see sin that blinds us, but God illuminates us with the grace of God. And we see sin that bruises us, but thank God the grace of God heals us. Boy, the, 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 the sin will go ahead and kill you, but thank God the grace will make us alive. And thank God that uh, we have a grace that gives us hope every step of the way. Thank God that that grace is for us. But look quickly, look quickly in, in, in chapter number 6, verse number 6 and 7, you see the approach. Well, how can I approach God? Look at chapter number 6, verse number 6. Wherewith shall I, I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? According to the law, the Old Testament, they're trying to figure out that this is the way we're supposed to go. Verse number 7, will the Lord? Mankind has since the fall desired to be able to help himself and figure out how it is. Do I have to do these sacrifices is what he's saying. Do I have to make sure that I do all of these sacrifices all the way along? Then the question is asked, how could sinful man come to a holy God? Look at verse number 7. Will the Lord be pleased with a thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Boy, we look at that and that first proposal is following the law, the, the law and, and, and it's going ahead and in question we go through. Is it a quantity question? Should I do more? Have I done enough good works? There's people all over this world that are working for salvation and they're working in vain. We have to tell them it's not about the quantity, but it's the quality that you have of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What you've given over to Him. The law cannot save. 
Samuel said this way, Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice. But then you get to the depths of depravity at the end of chapter number or chapter 6, verse number 7. Look at the depths of depravity that we have. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, for the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? I want to quickly say this, that the firstborn belongs to the Lord. Absolutely. That's what the Word of God says. Firstborn man, firstborn beast, doesn't matter. It belongs to the Lord. But then also, child sacrifice was strictly forbidden in the Word of God. This is what the depravity of man would say. If I could get on good terms, I'd be willing to give my firstborn. Child sacrifice was even practiced, though, by the heathens that were all around them. Scriptural is proof all over the place when you see the Old Testament, how the heathen nations were doing that. But the heathen nations came in and brought idolatry with them and taught the people of God. Even they knew better to do it, but yet they began to practice it themselves. Not all the time, but they did. Talking about going and taking your children through the fire into the belly of Molech. I don't know if you understand the belly of Molech is a god of this big bellied fella. That's not nice. Y'all are looking at me like that. That's not nice. Brother Greg, it wasn't that funny. (laughs) This big bellied fella and he has arms that are out and his, his hands are open both up. Palms are up. And his arms lead down into the belly. His belly is open and they light a fire into the belly. And what Molech would do is they would take their children, they would take their infants, they would take their babies, and they would lay them on the hands of Molech and let that child roll down the arms into the fire of the belly of Molech. Now we here today think, how could they ever do such a thing? Can I dare to say that there have been thousands and thousands of babies sacrificed on the altar of sacrifice, uh, on the altar of convenience, just to be able to say, no, don't, don't need that. Here, what he's saying is, boy, the depravity of mankind would be willing to let go. But there's a better way. <laughs> there's a better way. Look with me in verse number 8, and we'll close here in just a little bit. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Boy, he's given you three little things that you say to do what is the answer. Number four, what is the answer? The good news is that God has not left us to figure everything out on our own. He has given us the answer. He's given us the solution. He has given us an escape. He has given us the propitiation for our sin. Glory to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling us every step of the way to love mercy, to love justice, to do those things, and to be able to to humble yourselves before God. Now that is easy for us to do because we've seen the other side we've seen the Savior we've seen the Savior born and we've seen the Savior sacrificed and we've seen the Savior get up victorious over death, hell and the grave and he's gone to the other side and we get to serve him now brother Lonnie we get to serve him now with all of our hearts and we serve him with our hearts and our minds and our soul and our spirit and every step of the way God has given us and we humble ourselves before the Lord when we know that we are yet but sinners nothing is good 
in any of us. Boy, we look at these verses and we say, how could the people of Israel do that? But yet we go into the same direction every day. God has been good to us, but yet we seem to say, you know, God, there's something you could have done better. Absolutely not. Boy, the mercy of God, there's an inward condition that we have. The answer is an inward condition. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But then there's an inward communion that we have. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Humbling ourselves before God and realizing that we're but sinners. Psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119. He says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That, my friend, what would that be? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. What, what would that be? But God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. What would that word be? For whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's the word. That's the gospel. That's the Savior that we serve. And my, how Micah was trying to proclaim it to those people. He was standing in a generation of folks that were going against everything that God had ever told them to do. I want to talk to you, church, and say we may be standing in a generation where it seems like there's everyone in the world is trying to go against what God has told us to do. But we are to stand strong on this word. Depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and give Him glory for what He has done for each and every one of us. We're standing all over the building. Heavenly Father.